1: That is douglas.ca slash Canadaland. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canadaland, and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures, and it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canadaland. We need you to. Ali Arkadi thought that he was reporting one kind of story, but it turned out to be a different kind of story. Ali is Iraqi. He grew up amid war and violence that only ceased when American troops returned to Iraq and fought alongside Peshmerga fighters. That's when he was able to get an education in fine arts as a painter, later transitioning to photojournalism. And that's when he got married and had a daughter. Then came Daesh. When Daesh, also known as ISIS, took control of much of Iraq, Arkadi embedded with the Emergency Response Division, an elite task force of Iraq's military. They were America and Canada's allies, the good guys. In his early days with the Emergency Response Division, Ali shot a video of the ERD, a trailer for a documentary that he thought he was making, depicting the ERD as heroes as Iraq's liberators. And that video went viral on Facebook. It got more than 300,000 views. The ERD soldiers themselves were delighted to be glorified that way. And Ali Arkadi was embedded with them again and again. The soldiers trusted him. He had total access. And they let him witness and document everything that they did. And they did awful things. Ali Arkadi watched and photographed and filmed his hosts brutally torturing suspected Daesh sympathizers. And things he didn't see with his own eyes, the soldiers willingly shared with him, passing him copies of their own videos and photographs of cold-blooded murders that they had committed on prisoners. At some point, the ERD soldiers realized this growing collection of incriminating images that Arkady was amassing, and the unit began to doubt his loyalty. And they asked him to prove it. As some kind of test of his sympathies, Ali was ordered to abuse prisoners himself. They asked him to hit two prisoners. And at first he froze, then he did it. Soon after that, he got the hell out of there and he moved his family too. There was no way to share what he had seen with the world and be safe. Last month, Ali Arkadi finally told the story. Not the one that he thought he was going to tell, but the truth. His shocking, graphic, and strangely stunning photographs were finally published by the Toronto Star, in a collaborative project with ABC News. We will put a link up to the photographs, and it's worth having a look as you listen to this. Mitch Potter, Michelle Shepard, and Bruce Campion-Smith of the Toronto Star wrote the stories that accompany Ali's photographs, from which this intro that you're hearing now is derived. Ali is now in Europe at an undisclosed location, waiting to move himself and his family to Canada, where he's been invited by the Global Reporting Center at the University of British Columbia to become a journalist-in-residence next year. And Ali Arcadi joins me in a moment from that undisclosed location in Europe. And Mitch Potter will join in too with me in our Toronto studio. Wait for it. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Ben Chapman, Mark Reed, Rachel Bareka, Diana, Glenford Jameson, Brian Young, Mark Richardson, and Alex Midgal. Alex, why did you decide to be awesome? Because the hosts you bring on your show are funny and have different opinions. And i uh, like to keep you... This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, it's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems... And just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does Help As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool. doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca CanadaLand to claim this offer. Check. Today's episode is also brought to you by Audible. Audible has the best audiobook performances, the largest library, and the most exclusive content and you get one free audiobook to start. One book that I intend to listen to this summer is Trevor Noah's Born a Crime. I've really warmed up to Trevor Noah. It was a hard act to follow coming in after Jon Stewart, but I think this guy is sharp as hell, and I want to know more about him. I get the sense that he would read the hell out of his own book, and I'm going to check that out when I take some time off this summer. Audiobooks are great for long drives. Start a 30-day trial and get your first Audible book for free. Learn more at audible.com. That is audible.com. Canada, And this episode is brought to you by our founding sponsor, FreshBooks, cloud accounting by FreshBooks, the best of its kind in the world, the best service. They started out as an invoice solution. They have since developed a suite of tools, time tracking, estimates, expenses, taxes, tons of stuff that more and more people need for their individual practices or for their small businesses. But because we are seeing more and more people in private practice, in independent practice, launching entrepreneurial efforts. We don't have accounting departments. Well, this is the accounting department for all of those new players. This is empowering people to do these things and do them well. And it sort of becomes your mission control, like your control panel for your business. What money is coming in? What money is going out? Who is actually looking at my invoices? Who's paying me when? You can keep track of it all and get peace of mind. And most of all, save time when you use FreshBooks Go to freshbooks.com slash Canadaland and see what I've been talking about. Try it out for free for 30 days. No credit card required. If you do become a customer, tell them that Canada Land sent you, and you will be doing the show a favor. Ali Arkadi, hello. 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 Hi. And Mitch Potter, uh, hello as well. Hi, Jesse. Ali, let's begin. When you were first embedded with the Emergency Response Division with those soldiers, who did you think that they were?
2: Uh The first time when I meet them and in, in uh, Fallujah for three days, it's it was um, my looking for them and it's like hero, like strong fighters to fighting enemy. Yeah,
1: and we've all seen what Daesh, what ISIS ha- has done, and the the job of liberating Iraq from Daesh and ISIS. Is that what you believed? you would be taking pictures of?
2: Yeah, I, I believe it. Uh, this forces the first time to following them and to decided to to how they liberated this place of the place, like uh, village of village, can, uh, governor of governor. Like first time, and then I hear about, they was joining Rumadi, they, they have big achievement there. When I saw some video for them, they are showing me and they told me some stories and also in the fallujah when i went there and i saw them and all the forces and all the people they said this is this unit is very strong unit and because this i i decided to do following them and i document to make uh, positive uh, or another vision from uh, the forces how they're fighting isis especially through two people, one of them it was a Sunni and a Shia.
1: So you saw Sunni and, and, and Shia fighting together?
2: Yeah, the unit when I uh, saw in, in Fallujah, the first it's the captain it was Sunni and um, the corporal of Shia and when I spent three days there and just I realized, uh, wow, this is amazing things to, to work about. Uh, and to show the people how is the two Sunni and Shia they, how they 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 fighting ISIS side by side of Iraq, and this is was for me it's amazing idea. And I in that time I contact my agency and I said like uh, small proposal is very good. Should the world they see this and also your country, and that time I. Decided to first time to do uh, short things. Uh, a friend, one a small project is named Happy Baghdad. This project is like a small piece, about two minutes. They're showing some things, another vision, technically, uh, and also new idea to showing through social media from Iraqi people what's what the situation of Iraq. And when I was in Fallujah, I decided to do this happy Baghdad about two guys, one of them Sunni, another Shia, and they are how is strong fighters. They are hero. They are fighting side by side to go to front line. And this is this part is not fiction. This is part is documentary. Really, it was in 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 the uh, uh, frontline line in Fallujah. And this is when I published. In the social media it's thousand thousand, hundred thousand it's comments like positive uh, I saw about this piece, and I was very happy and I, I thought, if they have a problem originally like between these two parts, but you look, we have two soldiers they fighting together. Just I want to send message from Iraqi people there's not any Syrian things. This is everything is good. Be everything. It's good in the future. I want to just send positive message from world, from Iraq, from like journalistic uh, way and human way to show peace in the future and working about peace in the future, not just doing my job like journalist. Like, and the vision also, art vision and, and then uh, like to to do something positive. Yeah.
1: Mitch, maybe you can help to situate us. You have this emergency response division. They're involved in fighting back Daesh. Daesh has been terrorizing this country. Horrible violence. We're all aware of the murders and and uh, horrible atrocities. It's not terribly shocking for me to learn that there would be violence in return. What? cross the line for you in telling Ali's story and learning about what actually was happening without trying to retell the entire expanse of this. It seems like there was a pattern as they would liberate towns and try to figure out who was a Daesh fighter, who was Daesh sympathizer, and where did we kind of step into violations of the Geneva Convention and really serious crimes against humanity.
3: The most extraordinary of all these images Ali chronicled You can see just from the amount of time we've spoken to Ali now, so Ali and I spent 18 hours doing what you've been doing now with his laptop in front of him, going through image after image after image and video after video, and the cumulative heft of it for me was that we have this coalition, Canada's part of the coalition, we decided those guys over there are the bad guys, and... The natural instinct, even for journalists in the field, I think, is to want to call the other ones the good guys. It's a narrative that I think a lot of Canadian journalists got sucked into in Afghanistan. I think it's a simple narrative that people are going to understand. Good guys, bad guys. That's what you need, right? So when the ones we designate as the good guys are doing things like the summary execution we see of, of uh, part of this trove of of material that Ali's brought forward. You know, shooting a guy dead who's has his arms bound behind his back as he's running away, screaming for his life, nine bullets into him. This is uh, a Shia and a Sunni unit leader. The very heroes that Ali first found in Fallujah are the ones pulling the trigger and killing this guy. Is it a beheading? Is it as ugly and disturbing as what the Islamic State is responsible for and actually markets itself to the world as dead is dead. And it it's not a beheading. It's, it's just to me, having spent a lot of time in Iraq, having seen the sectarian cycles that began, it, it went back decades, but it certainly exploded after Saddam was removed from power. It feels like Groundhog Day. It feels like if if the sectarian dynamic in this country is not ultimately addressed, we set ourselves up for Daesh 3.0 ultimately, because we've already, this is the second incarnation in Iraq already.
1: Is this just war? Isn't this the oldest story that ever was? That violence begets violence and the hunt for sympathizers. In a context where ISIS is claiming responsibility for the terrorism in in London, all around the world, there are people who would cheer at these videos. The President of the United States would probably
3: cheer at these videos. I think he probably would because he's defended torture as an effective technique. I believe that innocents are victims in the situation that Ali witnessed. I believe that when you have soldiers in the field acting as judge, jury and executioner in real time, you know, Captain Omar Nazar boasted after the worst of these ima- images emerged that Ali Arkady is only going to make him more famous. Mm-hmm. Senator Patrick Leahy's response to these images and to that particular comment was uh, was outraged. And he suggests that this is part of a larger pattern if you have a unit leader whose response to this exposure is to boast what a great thing he's done you have a large pattern of probably innocents dying in the process of of something that we, you know the western coalition has financed and trained We spent a long time trying to unpack the motivations and some of the images that we have clearly speak to sectarian retribution. This is Shia getting back at those Sunni bastards and if you're Sunni, look out. How does
1: that jive when you've got Shia and Sunni commanding this unit?
3: Right, so you've got this commander and all of this is happening under this guy Omar Nazar and so Ali and I went back and forth on this and we spoke to Human Rights Watch about it Different people in that unit had different motivations. There was definitely a a predominantly Shia group of fighters who, it's kind of the norm in Iraq right now. Shia payback against Sunni is something that the government has struggled with for some years now. And it's one of the reasons this battle for Mosul was delayed, because they were trying to get the right horses into place that we're going to fight the fight without committing slaughter and so they had to push back some of the sectarian militias off the front lines and and the ERD was held up as the correct alternative this is the one but in the case of Omar Nazar who's a Sunni leader my sense is that uh, he's sort of a Rambo character, wannabe Rambo character. He
1: looks like one in the photographs. He's got these these bulging biceps tattooed and he looks like an action movie hero.
3: Well, one of the things that we went light on in our coverage because it put too much weight on Ali's shoulders, but as these waves of refugee families are returning to this newly cleared village of Hamam Ali, this town of Hamam al Ali tells us that unmistakably what was happening was a separation of potentially pretty females from their male companions. So get the guys over here. We'll take them in for questioning. But the real objective here was sexual assault of the women and to get their men apart from them. And
1: there's uh, a video that that you published that strongly suggests that a rape either occurred or was attempted right. or might and, have been occurred.
3: And I think what's gonna happen, I I mean, I saw a lot more uh material than we've actually published on on Ali's in Ali's own archive when we sat down together in Europe. I think a more fulsome documentary is is what he aspires to achieve and and he'll bring forward the full heft of that, the sort of subtext of sexual assault that Sense of entitlement that we're fighting the good fight. I'm Sunni. I don't care about religion. I'm just going to gratify myself as we go along here, and I think that was part of the modus operandi for for some of these guys. And clear sectarian revenge was part of the motivation for some of the other guys in the unit, as we see. And there's evidence of that in 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 the videos. So so it's it's a complicated cluster of motives it's the sectarianism that's going to stop iraq from being a functioning state after the defeat of isis and mosul and may give rise to isis 3.0 afterward sexual assault a campaign of sexual assault that we believe probably also took place with this unit maybe beyond this unit is utterly sickening you know it's iraq and and uh, it's you know the sectarianism is what they've got is going to make or break if that can be a functioning country or not.
1: Ali, to return to your story, as you become witness to more and more violence and the soldiers become familiar enough with you to share incriminating footage of murders that they cre- that they committed with you, some of which reported in the Toronto Star, the video you mentioned of the summary execution, they're... Attitude towards you changed. They came to question your loyalty and you were asked to strike prisoners yourself to prove your loyalty. What would have happened to you, Ali, if you had not hit the prisoners, do you think?
2: I don't know how they thinking, but I think they are uh, in that time really... When they ask me to do this, I scare about myself. Like just I have a bad feeling because they are very looking for me strange way. Uh, when they ask it, and really, and I, I cannot to like make to thinking a lot to not decision decided at that time because uh, I scare about consequences because sometimes I feeling they will threaten me if I not do this. They will killing me. Because I had something with them. You can, I, I documented something like before 10 days. I, I documented and I see a lot of things. Sometimes they not allowed. Sometimes they allowed me to do. I feel very scared at that time because uh, I scared myself. Maybe they put me and they're me, you know. And I'm thinking if I not do this, they will do something very bad for me. You know, I, I'm alone there. And just they, they're touching me. Maybe they're killing me. I say, okay. Because I was in the front line. Maybe they said, okay, he's killed by ISIS or something like that.
1: I want to just learn a little bit more about the partnership that you two made and, and also, Mitch, that you working with Michelle Shepard, the Toronto Star, and then ABC News. These pictures are incredibly graphic. They're also very evocative. They're strange pictures because they're beautiful in a, in, in a way. And I think Ali's training as an artist, comes across this sort of a terrible beauty in in the imagery. How did this collaboration journalistically come together? And why would the Toronto Star of all places be a partner for a story like this?
3: Sure. So ABC had been on this story for several weeks. We didn't know it existed. And we were approached by Ali's agency, Seven Photo. Their impetus, they were worried that Ali had to find a safe place. He had to get out of Iraq. He's where he is now in hiding in Europe. They're a New York-based agency, so they're thinking we can get him to the United States. We'll look for uh, an American, one of the big American print uh, newspapers, you know, one of the top one or two newspapers to bring him here. Trump gets elected. Trump announces the visa ban that would apply to people like Ali. And seven agencies, seven photo, started looking for alternatives. Where can Ali go? And the way I understand it, through the grapevine, they ended up knocking on the door of the Global Reporting Centre at UBC. And uh, that organization extended to Ali, after looking into his story, extended to Ali an invitation to come to Canada as journalist-in-residence. Over the course of that, Peter Klein, the head of that organization, said, maybe you need a Canadian print partner instead of an American print partner if Ali's potentially going to avoid Trump's America and find a home in Canada eventually. He suggested the Toronto Star. And so Seven Photo approached us with everything I just said. And, and it said in sequence a Skype group session by video in which my senior editors and I were were presented with these images through Skype and had to do some due diligence for a couple of le- weeks. I flew to Europe to meet and, and interview. Ali, you remember I sat with you for 18 hours. You, you're probably more exhausted then than you are right now, but... Uh, <laughs> I gave you like 10,000 questions. And my colleagues, not just Michelle Shepard, who's our national security reporter and has done, it's one of the, probably the best reporter I know, certainly. Sure. And uh, our Ottawa Bureau Chief, Bruce Campion-Smith, all under the guidance of Lynn McCauley and a pretty significant web team that saw these images and thought we needed to build a dedicated home to give them the kind of play that they, and so... That's the team we put together. It took us about two weeks to pull all the strands together and decide what this story was. I think there were sort of two categories of issues. One is images that speak for themselves, they are evidence of war crimes. And a second tranche of allegations that were things that Ali saw but didn't capture through his lens. And we erred on the side of caution with the latter because we didn't want the weight of additional allegations on Ali's shoulders alone. We thought uh-huh. it was enough that his images told us something. And so our job, we kind of played Sherpa to Ali, the frontline journalist, uh, Michelle and Bruce and I and, and Lynn, you know, kind of going through his diary, marking everything in color code, checking out every every point we could, contacting Human Rights Watch and... So ABC News and the Toronto Star concurrently ran independent investigations of what these images told us. There was very little collaboration. I had one lengthy conversation with the lead reporter at ABC News where we compared some notes. But we didn't want to cut their grass and they didn't want to cut our grass. And we thought, actually, it was better for the honesty of these images if we just go our own way and get to our own finish lines and... and, that's how it worked.
1: That is fascinating. I mean, this is a story that otherwise might have gone to the New York Times or the Washington Post, but because, if I'm understanding you correctly, placing this with a newspaper that could play some role, or the, or the, the act of placing it in a newspaper could play some role in ultimately bringing Ali and his family to North America, and the the fact that it is far less likely, if not impossible, for that to happen in America pushed this story into the Toronto Star's lap and it became a Toronto Star exclusive with ABC as opposed to w- one of those other papers.
3: And and that's the phrase, into the lap is the phrase I used with my colleagues. I was involved initially and then with after discussions with Lynn Macaulay, we thought Michelle and Bruce should be a part of this. And I don't know how well you know Michelle Shepard, but she's a pretty generous person. And so she was like backing off, uh, going, you know, this is really your story. And I'm like, this fell into our lap. I feel no proprietorial. <laughs> you know, we're trying to do something here for journalism. We have a role to play, but Ali was the one that put his life in danger in this situation. I went through the hardship of having to fly to Europe to meet Ali.
1: Right, poor you. But uh, uh, the product is fantastic as far as uh, long-form work online, I think, is the way to see this. And it's one of the better uses of uh, using photos, video, text, the sidebar stories splintering off into into stories that are worthy of digging down into. Uh, People should check it out immediately there is a Canadian connection and uh, I I think that that the story does a good job of holding Canada accountable we are we are I mean are we at war in Iraq how do we phrase these
3: types of commitments that Canada has right now we are complicit we trained we train and there's sometimes what they call kinetic activity where you know Canadian soldiers who are in that training capacity get a little too close to the front lines I mean the Canadian military is horrified by this. Bruce Campion-Smith, my colleague in, in Ottawa, took the lead on bringing his lap to the senior military and to Global Affairs Canada and and showing them what was coming mm-hmm. and to get their reaction in advance. And we had some delays, including security delays. We had to hold back the peace while members of Ali's family found ways to get out of the reach of the, in addition to his wife and child, there were other members of the family that needed to get to a safe place. And so Global Affairs Canada and the Canadian military were kind of champing at the bit. They wanted to go talk to the Iraqis about it. And we kept a lid on it saying, don't say anything yet because- Until they're out of harm's
1: yeah. way. Well, yeah, let, let's talk about that, Ali, because before we get too congratulatory about the journalism, the product of this, this has uh, had frightening repercussions for you. It put people in danger, people closest to you. Can you can you talk about the, the price that, that you've had to pay in order to tell this story?
2: Any journalist, if, if they did the same way, when I, did, when I do it, have the same effect It's like, uh, change the life, start to form, uh, to make a new life, that's a very, very hard time. It's also with the old pressure during this time to work about the story, it's, it's not easy. It's uh, more complicated to, to explain this feeling.
1: The feeling of uh, of pressure. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Were there threats?
2: Obviously, it's uh, two months ago. And I think it's more than two months. My father, my parents, and, uh, they get threatening from directly from these forces, especially from Captain Omar Nazar through Facebook. And, and that time, uh, they discuss with my father very another way. It's like sometimes they threatening, sometimes they need discuss to. Negotiate about uh, to to not stop Ali publish this because uh, Ali he will he will show us like uh, bad people but we are not bad people. This is all this detail is explained very well with threatening Facebook and I have all the screenshot for this. And this is me threatening my parents' family and this is me threatening me also. Ali,
1: when it's all said and done, we have a story that challenges the notion that Iraq is being liberated. It brings up the prospect that Iraq will fall into further violence and sectarian violence. And you've been displaced, your family's displaced. You're speaking to us from a secret location in Europe. You're hoping to come to British Columbia, bring your family with you, thanks to this invitation from the Global Reporting Center. But this has come at great personal cost to you. Why is it important to tell the story and to bear witness to what you saw?
2: The important things were what I feel in that time, what, what I saw, and I believe this is, some people, a lot of people, they have a pain. And this is war crime. This has put me to, to to work and to, to decide to publish this material. Even they 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 sometimes this feeling they are trusting me, they do, to did did this work, but in that time I did they thinking I did something bad about it. But this is was the reality. What's happening there? My decision to following the, to show the reality. And this is the reality. And I don't know why they are uh, don't like <laughs> just I joking about this. but if you say another side from ISIS, when the ISIS is coming to Iraq and they all did a lot of bad things and they published on social media, and we know what uh, what they did every time it's these forces when I start to work with them, they said we are. Liberation, we are liberate Iraq, we are liberate the village, we are save the village, even any religion, any any minority. And this is put me from a lot of questions with like commentary with myself. You know, this is what I re- learned through these years uh, in Iraq as uh, a journalist, uh, uh, as an artist. This is uh, not. Real. This is not a good way what they did. I think it will it's explain the situation um, more than 30 or 14 years after 2003. What happened in this era, especially in the era? I do not support any life, any 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 political, any any religion, and any, any minority. They have the same problem. I work, I work at the same thing and I, I decided in the same think what I didn't know. Not because they are Sunni, and because they are Shia and blah, 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 and anything. So I'm working because they are human, and I feel like human, and I feel they have a pain. And this is war crime, and I know what is the war crime because this, I decided to publish this material.
1: Ali, thank you. I wish uh, safety for you and your family. I hope hope to speak to you again in Canada.
2: Thank All you. Right. Thank you very much.
1: That was your Canada Land. I hope you enjoyed it. You can email me at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read everything and I respond when I can. We are on Twitter at Canada Land. Our website is canadalandshow.com. Our crowdfunding site is patreon.com slash I make the show with Russell Gregg. We've got some other podcasts coming out this week. There is the imposter on Wednesday and there's the next Canada land shortcuts on Thursday. If you like what we do, please support us. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join.
0: And thank you. A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood.